Hey, welcome back. Today's podcast and every podcast is brought to you by Onnit. Onnit is a human optimization company, fine purveyor of supplements, apparel, exercise gear. Um, if you go to their website, onnit.com, use code SATSUNG, you're going to get a discount. Um, I've always talked about the total human, but the thing I'm most excited about that Onnit has out is they're branching out Alpha Brain, which is their flagship product, which was how I was introduced to the company. Um, they have these amazing little shots, these little flavored shots. Think like a five-hour energy, but it doesn't taste like asshole and uh, isn't full of a bunch of garbage. Um, the the shots are, are really convenient, really nice, and they're super fast acting is, is what I like about it. But um, they also just released this uh, Alpha Brain Black Label. Higher dosages of everything. Uh, it's Alpha Brain on steroids, and it is a night and day difference. Uh, when I take it, I'm on like my fourth time of taking it this morning and focus, clarity, word recall, I feel on point. Um, Onnit.com, use code SATSUNG. All right, let's turn this fucking music off and let's get in. Um, yeah, tour was wild. Tour was wild in a lot of ways. One, it was really long. It's the longest tour I've done in a very long time. Um, usually we do three to four weeks. This one was six but I was gone seven with rehearsals and, and the drives to and from. Um, it was really, really nice having Parker. Parker, who just joined us, he plays pedal steel, banjo, harmonica, but um, he's actually my oldest friend in Montana. I met him shit right after I moved here. Got out of rehab, got a job at a coffee shop. Uh, and Parker was like, I met him on my first day. Um, he might be the best musician I know, uh, definitely top five best dudes that I know. Um, and because he lives in Billings, which is only an hour from me, he drove out to tour with me uh, and back. And it was kind of a trip to take Parker out because A, he hadn't been to a lot of the places we were going. Um, but although he has been you know, teaching lessons and playing hundreds of gigs a year, he had never done like a tour. You know, He'd never been on tour with a band before. And typically that can go either way. You know, people get, super fucking homesick by day four and have like a meltdown and need to go home or they handle it like a champion and fall in love with it. And Parker was the latter, which really warms my heart. Um, it's definitely what he was made to do. And, um, you know, he's one of my best friends. So, so pre-briefing and debriefing tour with him was, was really great. It was really great to have that, that time, just him and I. Um, you know, it was weird. So much shit happened on this tour. We went on a cruise in the middle of it, and I'll get into that, because um, that was kind of a deep experience all its own. Um, but what I thought I would do is I'll just fucking go into the spreadsheet um, and look at the tour dates, and um, and I'll kind of just share, you know, what I what I remember. Um, so the tour started in Minneapolis. We rehearsed for two days at our friend Weston's house. Um, and first show was a banger. You know, Minneapolis is, is, uh, is, has always been a really loving city to us. Um, so that was cool. We got to see, see a handful of old friends. Um, you know, it was the first show of tour and it felt tight. You know, I cut rehearsals pretty short. I just, I fucking trust my guys, man. I think that I have the best band in the world. I think that, hang on a second. We got some worky boys out in that, 
out in the hallway today, drilling shit. Um, so never mind the Bob the Builder sounds throughout this podcast that will inevitably be in it. Um, yeah, I mean, my guys are really fucking good, man. So everyone had practiced on their own. So when we got to rehearsal, it was uh, pretty straightforward. Um, felt really fluid, felt easy. So I think we ran each song maybe two times over the course of those two days, and then we just sent it. Um, Kansas City was cool. Uh, we had some great food. Really old school, like Blues Brothers venue called Knuckleheads was, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, also, before I forget, Parker did a vlog every single fucking day. Um, he made these cool little, you know, seven to 15 minute videos of, of each day and each show and got some really cool footage and he just did a great job. So if you want more insight into tour and you're kind of a visual person, uh, I would check out, follow P Word on Instagram and there's a link to, uh, to his YouTube channel there with all the vlogs. Um, yeah, the boys heard, uh, saw a shooting. They went to get some, uh, some classic Kansas City barbecue and, and the boys saw a shooting in Kansas City. Um, and Iowa City, Iowa City was a rad show. Uh, I used to party in Iowa City a lot. Um, this place was kind of on the outskirts. It was called Wildwood. Loved the venue. When we arrived there, there was, uh, I guess, I've, I'm getting pretty good with a rope. So anytime we had downtime on tour, I was roping a bar stool. Um, it's something I'm trying to get really good at. And uh, I think I did a good job keeping my chops up while we were on tour. But um, there was a fella in there before the show doors opened. You know, it's a barbecue restaurant and bar during the day. Um, there was this dude that had Nazi patches and shit all over his vest. Um, and this always provides me with an interesting challenge. Um, I believe that sometimes violence is the answer. Um, you know, and something about kicking the shit out of Nazis just always has rubbed me the right way. Um, so it was this weird thing, you know, um, Miguel, uh, who plays drums for Tim Snyder and Wolfgang Timber, who opened the tour, who were one of my new favorite bands, um, you know, he's Puerto Rican and black. Um, so I felt like there's, there was just a weird energy. Anytime one of those motherfuckers is around, it's a weird energy. Uh, and I had this moment where I walked in the bathroom and it was just me and him and he's peeing in the urinal and I had like a full fucking Steven Seagal scene go through my head. I was like, oh yeah, dude, straight teeth kick to the back. Well, I'm not going to go into details, but I thought about whooping the shit out of this man. But I think as an adult, I've matured to, to go, okay, and then what happens, right? You know, when I was a kid, I would have just been like, fuck it, I'm swinging on him. But I was like, okay, then this dude comes back with some boys maybe. And then that ruins the show because he comes back and now we're in some weird fucking gang fight that none of my friends agreed to be in. And I was the one that fucking started it. So um, that was weird. Um, I also, the thing that stands out about Iowa City was the, um, uh, the crowd wasn't huge. I think there was only 200, maybe a little more than 200 people there. But I met some of the sweetest people um, after that show, the, some of the fans that came to that show really blew me away. There was this lady, this one lady in particular that fucking blew my gourd out of my head. She goes, you know, what is your plan with music? I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, what's your goal? Like, what's your end goal? And I was like, man, I don't know. You know, just keep writing. She goes, no, like just financially, what, what would the end look like to you? What do you hope to get from your music? 
I was like, well, you know, I'd like to buy a ranch or like a nice enough piece of property that I can um, leave it to my family and, you know, wherever they, my kids may scatter, that this place can stay in the family where the, you know, the kids can come back, uh, their grandkids and their grandkids and their grandkids could come back to the chunk of land and the Beartooths, you know, and keep our bloodline and lineage connected to these mountains. And she goes, oh, that's beautiful. So if you got that, would you quit playing music? And I said, no, absolutely not. You know, I don't see ever not making records or not playing shows. And she just goes, wow, well, you're uh, in for quite the journey then. And there was something about the statement that was so profound to me. It really, like, it had me spinning for a few days of, of just realizing, like, oh, man, this thing that I'm doing, it's not linear, it's not cyclical, it's infinite. Like, I don't have an end goal with music. I must create to understand myself, to understand the world around me, to process the shit around me. I have to create. And that will never be a part of me. That's not, a, it's not a part of me. It's what I am. It's who I am. I'm a creator. And um, there was something about this brief conversation with this woman that, that really made me think about this whole thing so deeply. Um, so to that woman, I do not recall your name, but if you're listening, um, thank you. Um, you know, and this was kind of a thing that happened all throughout the tour, was we'd have these brief interactions with people that, that would lead to these kind of game-changing conversations. And I think in a world, you know, it's such a cliche at this point, where everybody's so goddamn divided and um, separated from each other, you know, we're being put in these groups, whether it's the, the left making up, you know, 150 different ways to identify yourself, or the right you know, being xenophobic and telling you who you should fear and who you should hate, um, you know, both ends of the spectrum are just so fucked because somewhere in the middle is human connection, and that's what I'm drawn to, that's what I'm affiliated with, and that's what I'm a proponent of. I, you just don't know who the fuck you're going to, who you're going to talk to if your heart is open, you know, and you're not closing people off by giving them boundaries and names and affiliations. Um, some of the most profound conversations I've had have come from things where I was like, meh, yeah. Like in my head about talking to a person and then I talk to them and they, you know, throw me a one-liner that changes my whole understanding of, you know, of something. Um, onward, uh, Indianapolis, pretty uneventful show. We had sold a bunch of tickets, but this was the only show of tour. So a lot of venues were warning that, um, because these shows were rescheduled, like say there was 300 tickets sold, they'd be like, yeah, well, like 150 people might show up. Um, because of the vaccine mandates, a lot of people didn't want to come to shows, which again, I will reiterate, I completely fucking support. Um, I think the idea of government or even private businesses saying that you must do something with your body to exist there is complete bullshit. I think it's completely anti-American. Um, and, uh, you know, something that kept happening during the tour is um, on social media or a couple times in person, um, you know, someone will berate me for supporting these mandates. Um, and I want to give a long-form context to that because I've responded to it on social media. But, um, you know, I have in the van, there's eight of us. That's just in the van. I'm an agent have a label, have a manager who's one of my closest friends. Um, and if we don't go to work, nobody's getting paid. 
you know, our bills didn't get turned off, our industry did. You know, I'm blessed because I own my music, um, so I have a little bit of a safety net, but my guys do not have that. Um, and what they do when they're home for money is play music, you know, multiple times a week. That's how they pay their bills, that's how they buy their food, and all that, and that was taken from everybody, you know? Um, also, most of these shows were booked two fucking years ago, you know, before anyone knew any of this happened, and you can't just back out of a contract and say, well, fuck your venue, I'm not gonna play there. Like, these promoters and these venue owners are not trying to be the long arm of the law. They're trying to fucking keep their doors open and keep their employees employed. Um, so there's principle and then there's logic, you know, and for me the logic says these venue owners are not the devil, you know, they're not, um, they're not trying to be Biden's hammer. They're trying to fucking stay open so they had to mitigate risk. They also have to think of you know, if we make a vaccine mandate, how many people aren't going to come to shows? If we don't make one, how many people aren't going to come to shows? Um, so no one really knows what the fuck they're doing, I guess is what I'm getting at. Everyone is just trying to make sure that they don't become homeless and that they can continue to employ other people so they don't become homeless. And that's really the fucking end of it. You know, my political views do not dictate policy in cities I don't live in. Fuck, they don't really dictate policy in the city that I do live in. So... Quit fucking coming at me with this shit is, is I guess what I'm getting at. I didn't, um, I didn't make these rules. I don't support these rules. I think these rules are bullshit. But the healing and the power of us playing this music live outweighs anything. And I'm not going to deny thousands and thousands of people that opportunity to see us live um, because of some shit like this. You know, if we would have just went out and nobody came to shows, I'd be like, all right, man, let's just hold off until this thing blows over. But we didn't. A shitload of people came to shows, and a shitload of people cried, and a shitload of people hugged their friends, and a shitload of people told me that our music is what got them through the fucking pandemic, that they were suicidal, that they were about to turn back to drugs after being sober for many years. So fuck all that. I'm out here to help, man. That's it. I'm out here to motherfucking help. Um... And the messages that I get every day from y'all and the stories y'all tell me in person let me know that what we're doing is helping. So I'll be goddamn if me and the boys aren't going to go help and aren't going to pay our bills. I fucking love my band. I love my agent. I love my manager. I love my label. I love everybody that I get the pleasure of working with. And I'm not going to deny them income, uh, you know, as some form of protest. I won't do that. If it was my income, fuck yeah, man. I'll die on that sword all day. But I'm not going to deny, you know, 12, 13 people income to prove a personal point. That's just not what a good leader does. Like I said, if, it, if the only thing at risk was me making money, I'd fall on the sword. I'd go find some ranch hand work. I'd get back on a roof. I'd get back in a retail shop, and I'd fucking make it swing. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the case. You know, I got a, a lot of people, and so did these venues. They got a lot of people counting on them to fucking stay open and stay busy. So we're going to stay busy uh, when at all possible. I will always prefer to work with promoters and venues that don't have any sort of restrictions. That the only restriction, or the only requirement, rather, for you, for you to attend a show is you wanting to fucking be there. Um, when that is uh, available, that's what I'll do. Um, sorry about these noises in the background is what it is but um let's see Asheville sold out show 450 strong 
Uh, Nashville was a very weird show in a very small, dingy little venue called The Basement. Um, we're playing a bigger venue next time through. The The Nashville show was weird because like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Uh, Parker's pedal board fucked up. Tim's pedal board fucked up. Tim ended up leaving his in-ear rig there, and then they shipped it back to him without the antenna. Uh, Nashville was a weird one. Great show. Felt great. It was actually kind of cool to play like a small little compact zone like that, but definitely uh, pretty fucking hectic. Um, Columbus was sold out. That was a weird one. Um, it was, again, a, a small room, 350, uh, completely packed. Um, oh, yeah, shit. So... A funny thing now, it wasn't funny when it happened, but um, I got a staph infection right before we left for tour. And I started a round of antibiotics. I didn't think much of it. I've had a small staph infection before from jujitsu. Uh, it just fucking happens when you train all the time. Um, you know, they've always cleared up really fast. Uh, well, this one was completely unresponsive to the first round of antibiotics, and I started to get real sick, I guess we'll just say. Not nauseous throwing up, but... You know, getting eight hours of sleep and feeling like I got 30 minutes of sleep, um, just dead. I felt dead. Um, and Columbus was when it all kind of came to a head, and I found this big red patch on the back of my arm that I hadn't previously seen. So I had to call my doctor back home, tell him what was going on. And, you know, uh, staph infections, you know, like MRSA, for instance, what I had, when, when they're resistant to antibiotics, shit can get very scary because a staph infection can go from, like, oh yeah, I have this rash here to like, holy fuck, I just got hospitalized for a week. So they're super serious when they don't respond to antibiotics. Um, Columbus was kind of where everything fucking smashed me. Like Columbus and Chicago. I was so tired. I was so beat. Um, it was fucked, man. Yeah, that 22nd through 24th there, Columbus, Chicago, and Kalamazoo, I was just worked over. Um, but called my doctor in Columbus got a different antibiotic uh, that thankfully worked. Um, but yeah, there was a, a rough week there. Um, Kalamazoo, Michigan, dude, that was a burner, man. I had no fucking idea Kalamazoo got down like that. Uh, I think we did about 350 there too. You know, crazy, uh, crazy turnout. Felt really, really good um, to go to a brand new place and have that many people there singing our shit. Whole bunch of people singing the new shit, man. Can't even tell you how good that feels. Um, St. Louis uh, might have been the loudest crowd of tour as far as singing, as far as cheering. They were fucking nuts, man. Uh, St. Louis was one of my favorite shows on the tour. Des Moines was really special. Uh, my brother lives there. Uh, that was where I grew up. Uh, I left when I was 17. Um, so I got to see some real old homies, um, a handful of which that had gotten sober. But the thing that was really fucking cool so when I was 15 years old, um, my mom had moved to Florida, and I said I wouldn't move with her because when him, her and my stepdad, who was extremely abusive to me and my brother, um, when she left, I had like some Stockholm Syndrome shit. I felt really bad for my stepdad, and I didn't want to leave him alone, so I made the decision to stay. My brother was in Iraq, so it was just me staying. She took my little brother and went because he was only like eight at the time, and... Uh, yeah, I uh, I stayed with my dad, but the abuse had got to a point where, where the people close to me, my homies, were like, man, nothing about this is fucking cool, nothing is normal. But my friend Bobby Trader, his, um, his parents 
you know, I came over one time and his dad was like, yo, um, get in the car. We're going to go get your shit and you're moving in with us. And, you know, I didn't trust any fucking adult ever. And he just kept saying, like, it's going to be fine. And I was like, nah, man, this dude's going to beat the brakes off you and then he's going to beat the brakes off me. And he was just so certain. No, he won't. That's not what's going to happen. Well, we went over there. We got my shit. And, um, you know, these people took me in and treated me like their son for over a year. Um, it profoundly changed my heart. You know, I was a really angry kid. And uh, to get to see how a healthy family function, how discipline can still be executed without insult, um, they were just the greatest people ever to me. Well, anyway, I hadn't seen them since I was like 16, 17 years old. And um, they came to the show and they got to come backstage and they got to watch the show. There was lots of tears, there was lots of hugging. Um, Des Moines was amazing, man. Between getting to see my brother and my nieces and my sister-in-law, um, Bobby's folks that took me in to get to see Bobby, uh, Dave Fritz, OG of mine. I'm just, man, I'm just so blessed to do what I'm doing, you know? And those people always act as a mirror, you know? I'm so in my world that I forget how amazing what we're doing is sometimes. And um, those people are always around to remind me, you know? to tell me how amazing what we're doing is. So that, that, was, that was great. Um, Omaha was rad. That was a sold out show. Um, bold, Omaha, dude, when we were in Omaha, my friend, um, Laura, God bless her, she goes, why don't you guys come over and we'll do a little barbecue before the show. So I'm thinking she's gonna throw in some burgers and shit. We get there. She had made each of us, all seven of us, seven of us, um, giant steaks, bacon-wrapped asparagus, sweet potatoes, two different kinds of salad. Like, she saved the day. We hadn't had a home-cooked meal in a few weeks. Um, so that was absolutely amazing. Um, Boulder. Boulder was weird. One of the lower-attended shows of the tour, and we usually crush in Boulder, but it was on Halloween, the Saturday before Halloween. Um... Which, what a fucking scene that was, dude. Apparently being naked is a Halloween costume now. We saw a lot of pretty much naked college girls. And it was weird uh, having a 17-year-old daughter. Uh, it kind of fucked me up. I'm just, like, thinking about our culture and, like, where we're at. And there's, like, this weird line of, like, what's fucked up and what's empowerment. So, like, if you, you know, you want to show your ass and... and, and um, you know, be half naked, shit girl, you do you, more, more power to you, I, uh, you know, but didn't, uh, it didn't seem like that was the vibe, everyone was very, very drunk, and they're college kids, right, so that's what they do, but there was something that felt icky about the whole thing to me, it just felt yucky, um, yeah, lots of alcohol, lots of nudity, uh, someone puked right by where we had to load out, so that was gross, got on the trailer ramp, Anyway, uh, we'll be back, and we just won't, won't do Halloween anymore. I think we're going to start doing our fall tours earlier so we can be home for Halloween with the kids. Uh, Parker's boy uh, has a birthday in mid-October, so we'll do fall tour a little earlier so we can avoid the alcohol-fueled nudity fest that we stumbled upon in Boulder, Colorado. Salt Lake City might have been my favorite fucking show of tour. It was Sunday show, super packed, everyone singing hella loud. 
I was on like two, three hours of sleep. And uh, holy balls, did I feel like dog shit. And uh, the minute we walked out on stage, man, I felt like I had slept 10 hours. Like I just had the alpha brain with a fucking cup of coffee. I was on fire. That might have been my favorite show at tour. Um, yeah, then we did the cruise. Uh, the cruise was was cool. It was um, weird. I'd never been on a boat before. Um, not like that. I've been on a raft fishing. And I've been on like a motorized fishing boat, but never a cruise ship. That shit was wild. Um, you know, standouts there. I guess the big thing to talk about um, was that I guess I, I almost, I came as close uh, to relapsing as I think I ever have. You know, I have my own room. Uh, my autonomy on the boat just didn't really exist because it was like, you know, even if I wanted to go get food or take a lap around the deck or like whatever, everybody wanted to take pictures and, and talk to me, which is a blessing. It's a blessing to be noticed. You know, I remember a time in my career where no one knew who the fuck I was and I like wished everybody knew who the fuck I was. Um, but it's a double-edged sword. You know, I was real homesick and, and hadn't, uh, we hadn't been home in a minute. That was like about a month in. So I was feeling all types of ways, man. Um, but I guess the thing that started happening was I was like, everybody else is real drunk. And I was like, okay, well, I can't get drunk with everyone, but maybe I could get drunk, you know? And then I, I went back to my room to kind of just be alone and like think about it. And by the phone, there's this menu. You know, or room service will just bring you a bottle or whatever the fuck you want. So I was like, just thinking in my head, like, oh man, I fucking push this button on the phone. You know, here's 80 bucks, thanks for the whiskey. No one would know. Me and that, me and the man that brought it to me, that's who would know. So it was weird, I haven't been in that headspace in a while, and at one point I actually grabbed the phone, and then like, you know, I FaceTimed my wife and was just like, yo, this is what's happening, and it's freaking me the fuck out, and uh, ultimately I made it through it, and I'm better for it, but fucking dark arts, man. You know, I've been sober eight years, nine this spring, but it's wild, you know. I guess I've always thought that I just kind of had it licked and that it wasn't a thing. Uh, but it is, man. I think it just, I think the healthier you are mentally, spiritually, physically, the deeper down it goes. But when we get weary and you kind of start to waver in the health department, and uh, yeah, that mind starts wandering, man. Those dark arts are always there to, uh, to say, hey, you could try me again. So it was wild. It was a trip. Like I said, ultimately, I did not relapse, uh, and, and I feel like I handled it pretty well. I was like open about it and ended up sharing publicly what had happened, and I had uh, a handful of people reach out and say that they had been feeling the same thing um, and that they were about to relapse, and then they heard that story, and then they didn't. Um, so that was cool. <laughs> I wasn't just talking about relapsing or opening a beer. I was opening a clean Sparkling yerba mate. That's my favorite beverage uh, in the world. Anyway, um, then we got back from the cruise. We uh, we went to the fucking Grand Canyon. None of us had been to the Grand Canyon before. That was so fucking rad. Um, we did a, I think it was like a six or seven mile hike, but we got down in there, Daddy. We went deep. Um, Greg and I ate some mushrooms, and 
you know, it was a, and Parker too, yeah, no, it was a day, it was a day, the hike was a little harder than I thought, but what was funny was, you know, me, Greg, and Parker kind of pride ourselves of being the athletes of the group, the boat crew, we're always in the gym lifting and shit, doesn't matter how much sleep we got, like, we're in there, dude, and Stefan and Ben kicked our ass up that canyon, it was Stefan, Ben, and Greg, or Stefan, Ben, and Carl leading the pack at that motherfucking warrior pace, um, so I got up there with him. Uh, we, we found out pretty early in the tour when on outings that Parker and Greg can't be left alone because they'll end up fucking three miles behind us talking to some old lady or some shit. Um, them late boys, dude, they just, uh, they can't help it. They're both beautifully aloof, and when together their aloofness uh, presents a problem. Uh, we played Phoenix at the Marquee. That was cool. I got to see my dear brother Anton, which is always a delight. A woman had a seizure at that show. We rocked so hard that she had a seizure, um, but she ended up okay. They, uh, they, we watched her kind of come back too, and they, they got her. So shout out to her. Uh, hope you're all right, and thank you for coming to the show. Sorry about the seizure. Um, God bless you. Hope you're, uh, hope you're up and at him and doing good. Um, San Diego, all right. I've been debating whether or not I want to share this story, but I'm just going to fucking send it because it was very weird for all of us. So San Diego, small venue, show sold out some time ago. A bunch of people got scammed with fake tickets. Uh, my good friend Dell showed up and his wife, Jackie, who I love dearly. So that was cool. Um, but when we got there, we got done loading in. And Jono, our sound guy, was in there doing his thing. And that always gives us like an hour, hour and a half. So we're in San Diego. So we get some tacos, of course. And when you walk out the back door of this venue, there's this small parking lot. And to the left is the green room. Well, it was nice as shit outside, man. So we're sitting outside. We're sitting outside eating some tacos. Um, if you've ever seen Ben, Stefan, and Carl, they're probably the most unintimidating dudes on the planet. You know, you can tell how sweet they are just by looking at their faces. You know, me, I got kind of a mean mug, I suppose. Now covered in tattoos, big old handlebar mustache at the time. But anyway, this woman comes out of the building and we all go, hey, if you want us to get out of the way, just let us know. Or if you need a hand, because she was carrying a lot of shit. She's a hoarder. You could tell her whole car was packed full of shit. But anyway, she goes, no, it's okay. And then walks the long way around the car which didn't make any sense. But then she comes around the car and she goes, can we just acknowledge that this is a very intimidating situation? And I said, what do you mean, ma'am? We're the band that's playing in this venue. She said, listen, here in San Diego, we are a community that takes care of one another. And I need y'all to acknowledge that this is an intimidating situation. Now, I, listen. I just didn't want to get into it with her. Me and Stefan both about started because I wanted to say, what about this is intimidating? Like, we offered to help you the minute you arrived. We jumped the fuck out your way as soon as the door opened. Um, like, I guess if she came out and we were like listening to punk rock really loud and like skateboarding around her car or some shit, but we were literally sitting in lawn chairs next to the venue we were playing, literally right by the door of the venue we were playing while they were clearly doing shit inside. And, um, like, that was her office, so she knows it's a venue. I guess the whole thing just was very mind-boggling to me. 
Like I said, we got up and asked her if she needed any help or if she wanted us to get out of her way. I don't know, the whole thing just fucking felt weird, but it really fucked with me and kind of made me upset. Um, but I guess it's not my shit, it's her shit. You know, maybe she, maybe she, you know what? Maybe she had been attacked in an alley before by three dudes or something. Maybe race played no part in it, maybe gender played the part in it. Like, I don't fucking know. But it was weird, because we were really polite to her when she opened that door. And then she was like, this is intimidating. Which I also am like, if it was that intimidating, you probably wouldn't come over here to say that. You'd probably just be like, all right, but you could tell that we're actually not intimidating or threatening, so you feel comfortable telling us that we're intimidating? I don't know. Whatever, doesn't matter. San Diego was a dope show. Los Angeles was sold out, and my wife met us on that day in LA, so I'm glad she got to see that show. Um, it was fucking so good to see my wife, man. I love her so much, uh, and I was, uh, I was about at a code red of just, you know, I was just missing her. I was just missing her. Um, but uh, so that was great. And then she came with us to San Luis Obispo, which was a great show. Um, and then we had two days off. So I rented us this house in the Redwoods and I didn't realize how back there it was. It was this huge, probably half mile driveway that went like straight up the side of this little mountain. And I got the fucking trailer up it. And then we got up there and the guy that owned the house was like, what the fuck, dude? How did you get this up here? So I had to get it back down. Um, it was a fucking funny debacle, though. Solid teamwork. Um, but the two days off in the Redwoods was cool, man. We went and did a hike. Uh, we ate some mushrooms again. Um, you know, I think if you're in nature with your friends hiking, um, that you should eat mushrooms sometimes. And uh, so we kept doing that, you know while we were out there doing nature, doing nature together. Um, it was amazing. It was amazing. And, uh, you know, they kind of hit me on the drive out of the Redwoods. I got a round two smackaroo, which was cool because then we hung out in Santa Cruz. We went to the, to the pier and to the, be or to the wharf uh, and to the beach, and we watched Parker have a whole, you know, existential experience standing in the sand. Uh, but we got... You know, morning, afternoon, Redwoods jaunt through the fucking, this amazing, like, rainforest vibe uh, in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And then we went and ate some of the best Greek food I've ever had, and we got this solid, you know, sunset over the beach. Santa Cruz is the shit. Like, Santa Cruz, to me, when I think of California and everything I love about California, it's fucking Santa Cruz, man. You got the mountain vibes, the beaches just feel different. SoCal's kind of hot and it's so crowded and smoggy. Um, it's, it's just a bit hectic for me. And I think a lot of people, when they think of California, the picture they're seeing in their head is Santa Cruz. It's like that perfect blend between Northern California and Southern California. Great food, great vibes. You know, Parker and I were standing on the, on the corner by this Greek restaurant and, and just like some of the coolest, most typical shit, you know, like a bug drives by with a surfboard strapped to the top. An old, like, 90s Bronco with two surfboards sticking out the back. Like, just the fucking vibe, dude. Love Santa Cruz. Um, and then we went up and played in Felton, which is just up in the woods from Santa Cruz. Uh, Felton was a fucking beautiful town. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed the venue, the food at that venue. Had a really awesome heart-to-heart -heart with the boys that night. Um, after that, um, 
you know, meanwhile, between Felton and Berkeley, which is where we played the next night, the Rittenhouse verdict was, was, uh, was coming down the pipe. So we were kind of nervous to go to Berkeley, uh, but that show popped off, man. There was a shitload of people at that show. It was super cool. And then the next night, uh, there was some, you know, some unrest. Some gunshots popped off, like some weird shit. But luckily we weren't there for it. We bopped into Berkeley, um, played a kick-ass show, one of the highest attended shows of the tour, I believe. Maybe that's a lie. But I think we... I. We did probably like 350 or something like that. It was a fucking solid, solid little Thursday. Um, Arcada, man, what a wild zone. So a big thing that was tough navigating on this tour is none of us are big maskers. You know, like we're in a room every night with people breathing on us and singing at us. So it's just like you either go into this shit, nuts out, you know, sending it, or you just fucking stay home. So... We just were kind of like, fuck it, you know? Um, and some of the rules were so nonsensical. Like, I get it if the rule is, if you're in this building, you must wear a mask. That shit makes sense to me. I can get with that. But the like, you have to wear a mask when you walk in, but then when you take three steps to your table and sit down, you can take it off. I'm like, okay, well, we're not preventing shit. This is fucking goofy. And everyone can admit this is goofy. Unless you don't have a working brain, you know you're not preventing shit. Like, me wearing a mask for three set, three steps, like, that's not going to do anything. But anyway, uh, Arcade, I had an experience, you know, and, and I didn't wear a mask in Berkeley either. No one really said shit. Um, I'm not one of those dickheads. Like, I'm not going to berate an employee over a mask. You tell me to put a mask on, I'll flip my bandana around and throw it over my face. No problem. I'm not that guy. I'm just saying me personally. I just ain't, I'm not scared of shit. Um, but, uh... Yeah, I walked into a grocery store in Arcade. I swear to God, the fucking music stopped. This, the lady working the first register by me is like, yo, you need to put a mask on. And everybody fucking turned and stopped to like look at me like, yo, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, shit, sorry. But then I put a mask on. Uh, but then the rest of my shopping experience was weird because everyone was staring at me like, that's the fucking guy. That's the guy that took two steps in here without his mask on like a dick. Um, the show in Arcade was phenomenal. We were gifted some of we got gifted a lot of cannabis on this tour, uh, and I just want to tell y'all, um, we appreciate it. We like it. Um, we're grateful for it, you know. Uh, we all like it. We all like weed. Um, and I guess, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is that I'm really blown away by the quality of cannabis that exists in the world, man. When I was growing up, I remember the first time I saw mid-grades and, and higher-grades shit. I was like, what is this? You know, I came from the cut. We were smoking smoking brickweed, you know? It came, like, in, in these, like, almost uh, wafer-looking shapes that you had to break up and get all the seeds and stems out. Anyway, I've been, I've been on the good weed game since I was about 17, but I say all that to say, man, some of the weed that was gifted to us in California, particularly the, the promoter and... And Arcada gave me some weed, and this shit just looked, I don't even think I've tried it yet. I wasn't smoking very much on this tour. Um, but uh, it was phenomenal, man. I mean, it just literally was almost white. It was covered with so much Keith. Uh, we got a bunch of edibles. Shout out to Snickerdoodle, man. This guy gave us a gift basket full of edibles and Snickerdoodle cookies and like two ounces of ganja. 
just champion of a man. And we found out that Ben can ingest 200 milligrams of THC, which is fucking wild. Because I eat 5 milligrams of THC, and I am high. I eat 10 milligrams of THC, I'm really high and probably shouldn't drive. Ben ate over 200 milligrams. Stefan also did over 200 milligrams. I was really proud of them. Uh, you know, that's a feat. That's a feat. Um, I think it says a lot about someone's psyche if they can handle that amount of cannabis. Like, truly. You know, I'm a pretty together philosophical cat, but I feel like 200 milligrams would send me into some shit. Uh, so it was amazing to see, you know, it was amazing to see, you know, some grown adults eating, uh, eating that much cannabis and being fine. You know, they were completely conversational. They were, uh, they were with it, man. They were completely fine. Uh, onward, we went to, uh, to Portland. Portland was another weird mask situation. We were at the venue that wasn't open yet, and there's like a little bar at the front of the venue with like five seats on it that I guess is a working bar during the day, which is weird. I mean, you can literally fit five people up there, and then it's this big theater. Um, so Portland was sold out. That was, uh, we sold f like 500 tickets at that show, which is, that's a fucking huge deal to me, man. To be hitting 500 anywhere really blows me away. Um, but I went to get a fork. I had done some door dashing and um, I went to get a fork and the guy goes, you got to put a mask on. Now, meanwhile, there's two people sitting next to me on high rise stools at the exact same height as my body, not wearing masks. And I was like, man, can I just get a fork and then I'm going to go backstage? And he said, you have to put a mask on. I said, what about them? And he said, they're drinking. I was like, you want to pour me a cup of water and I'll just hold it in my hand then? Like, I, this was the, the second to last uh, show of tour. And this man was rather aggressive. He was kind of a dick about it. Um, so I didn't berate him, but I wanted to, I wanted to test his, his logic real quick. You know what I mean? So I just threw out that little like, yeah, man, well... How about I hold a glass of water in my hand and then I don't have to wear a mask and then we're safe because I'm drinking water, you know? Just nonsensical, but Portland was a banger of a show. Uh, I think, yeah, dude, they were right up there with St. Louis as far as loudness and the singing. Um, that was one of my favorite shows of tour. I remember Carl's bass solo in Portland being particularly great. Um, yeah, Portland was great, and then we all slept like babies because that arcade of Portland, Berkeley to Arcata, those were some fucking drives, and some late nights. Uh, so Portland, we got a really good night's sleep. Well, some of us did. The other boys went out. Two of the boys went out. Three of the boys went out. Um, quick two-and-a-half-hour jaunt to Seattle. Um, I went to a, a, a thrift store in Seattle, and I got some amazing records, two Jerry Reed records, uh, I got a three Whalen records, but an original pressing of Ramblin' Man. Holy shit. Uh, my favorite John Hartford record, some Almond Brothers, uh, all for like $29. I got like fucking 10 records for $29. Good records um, that I should have brought to my office so I could listen to them today. Um, Seattle was a great show, man. It, it really felt full power. When you know it's the last show on a tour this long, you just fucking send so hard. And we did. We crushed a bunch of Stefan's family was there, so that was cool to get a play for them. Uh, got to hang out with Stefan's parents and brother, who, who were just some of my faves. Um, always great to see them. Um, but yeah, a really great, uh, a really great tour, all in all. Uh, Parker and I drove home. 
the next day we made it all the way to Butte on day one and then got home two days before Thanksgiving. So I really don't know what else to say except like people being pretty damn good to each other. I think I think the uh, the news makes shit sound worse than it is. Like for instance, you know, we were told the day before we got to Portland that there was a riot in Portland. You know. And I'm like, well, shit, dude, we got a van and a trailer, so if a riot's happening, that shit's for sure getting snatched up or fucked with. But uh, I hit up Chitty, uh, my buddy Chitty in, in Portland, and he goes, nah, man, it was literally less than 100 people. It was last night. But it was literally like the news was angling their cameras to make it look like this wild mob. And it was like 50, 70 people who really weren't even doing shit. They were just out there bitching. Um, so it was just wild. I guess what I'm saying is that, uh, the world seemed to me to not only be getting back to normal, but, but there was a sweetness that I felt, a kindness that I felt that seemed to be purveying. Uh, I think everyone needs to stay the fuck off social media or, or just reevaluate how you're using it. Like... I know people that really get their kicks arguing on social media, man. You're just pushing this narrative that, like, just because somebody doesn't think like you that they're a shithead. And it's just not the case, man. I just know so many people with different beliefs in me. But if we have the same morals and values, which is, like, loving people's better than hating people. Family is important. You know, accountability is huge. Like, if we're sharing these this kind of social... Um, agreements that say you be nice to me I'll be I'll be nice to you like 99% of people abide by that social agreement uh, you know I've been everywhere fucking 15 times at this point I've been at this shit for a long time you know eight years ago I started touring eight years ago this fall so or seven yeah eight was when I started the band seven years ago we started touring um but people are way way better to each other than than the than these outlets that have you believe. And, and I just ask that if you're not out and about, that you just trust me on that. The world's not on fire, and I think if we want to see fire, we'll always see fire. If we want to see love, we'll always see love. Um, you know, there is some, some idiot, idiotic policies, some idiotic mandates, and some real idiotic motherfucking politicians right now, but the people are good for the most part. People are good to one another. And, and we get along really well for being as smashed together as we are. And, uh, and I believe in that. And, and, you know, that's my goal with music now. I don't have any doctrine or fucking ideology to pitch to you. Um, my message is, is that you are going to fucking die. And what do you want to do with that time while you're here? Do you want to spend it arguing, calling your aunt a dumbass on Facebook over some dumb shit? Or do you want to be good? Be good to Aunt Trish. You know what I mean? We just don't have that much time um, here, and we think we do, and boy, does it just trickle along. Anyone that has kids will tell you, man, it goes by fast when you have something there that's marking how quick, how quick it's going by. So my message is, if we know we're mortals and we know we have this limited time, we should not only be being kind and, and loving one another, but we should be chasing our dream and not wasting that precious time on things that don't matter. And I assure you, arguing about politics doesn't fucking matter. 
Music matters, delicious food matters, good sex matters, relationships matter, love matters, connection is what matters. The rest of it is static, it's fucking background noise. The juice of life exists in those things. Uh, so go squeeze that motherfucker. Uh, that's all I got for y'all. I'll talk to you next week.